Hey, good morning, One Church. How you guys doing? You guys never let me down. First service makes me feel so bad about myself. They, uh, you, you guys, you guys lift me up. Um, hey, uh, just introduce myself. Chris kind of already gave me the intro, but my name is Dave Thompson. I'm the student pastor here. I don't typically teach on Sundays. Every now and then I get to, and it's a lot of fun. But I primarily enjoy working with middle and high school students. And you guys are like, you enjoy working with middle school students? Yes, yes, I do. I absolutely love it. I have the greatest job in the world where I get to actually pour into the next generation. It's so great. Um, I get to hang out with them every Wednesday, best night of the week. Um, do we got any middle or high school students in the in the room? Okay, I got a couple. Big Dave. There we go. Thank you. Hey, uh, they they love me just a little bit. Um, I, one day they might love me a little bit more, but right now it's just a little bit. Uh, hey, <laughs> you're like. Were we in church? Am I allowed to laugh? Yes, yes, you are. Some of you grew up in a place where you, you just you, you go to church, you look like this. Fart face. All right, there we go. Got a little bit of laughter. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, so we're in, a, we're in a series called Labels. And so here's, here's a question I have for you. Why do we label people? Why is it? Like, why, why, why do we label people? And, and I think the answer rests in this can right here. See, I have a, a can. It's full. hasn't been opened. But it doesn't have a label. And see, some of you are, like, really twisting and sitting on the edge of your seats right now because this can should have a label. You guys are like, super OCD, you need therapy. It'll be all right. It doesn't have a label. So, so some of us see this can, and we're just freaking out because it doesn't have a label. Why, David? Why are you subjecting me to this horrific thing of a can with no label? It doesn't have a label. Give it a label. We don't have a label for it. See, some of us see this, and we, we see opportunity. We see a moment of possible discovery. Because here's the thing. To find out what's in the can, we grab a can opener, and we get that sense of discovery, right? So... You know, I, I read a lot of nerd books, you know, so like going on a journey, we're going on a journey, we're going to, you know, get the can on there. Of course, I'm doing it backwards. We're going to open the can. We're going to see what's inside the can. And it's this moment, this, this moment of discovery, seeing what's really inside here. It could be anything. It could be pineapples. It could be pickled beets. It could be black olives. Black olives are disgusting. Kalamata olives are delicious. Those are life. Okay. But black olives are gross. They taste like aluminum foil. Uh, and yes, I know what aluminum foil tastes like before anybody asks. It could be dog food, you know, which tastes better than black olives, but um, it, it, could be, it could be any number of things. What's in the can? We have no idea what's in here. It could be so many things. But see, some of us don't see this really as an opportunity because we, we just, you know, we're, we're just going to smack a label on it. So yeah, that's, that's dog food. I don't care what's in the can. It's dog food. Dogs will eat anything. It's dog food. We'll just say it's dog food. Um, I, I don't want to take the time. I, I don't necessarily want to go to the drawer, open it, get my, get my can opener out, put it on the can. I've twisted, you know, my, my wrist is a little bad these days. You know, I got to twist the can opener. I don't know. I don't care to spend all that time and energy getting the can. And here's the thing. And the reason we do that is because it's easy. It's so easy just to smack a label on it and say, that's what it is. It's so easy. Some of us, it's an opportunity of discovery. Others, it's, it's just an annoyance, and we should just throw something on it and just forget about it. And it's so true in how we relate to people. You see, many of us, probably all of us, 
we're, we're very guilty of putting labels on people. We don't really want to take the time to get to know them. We just start smacking labels on them. We say they're, you know, the guy's a dork. The guy's uh, the guy's dumb. She's a, uh, you know, she's a divorcee. Did you guys hear that she's a divorcee? We say, uh, you know, you know that guy, guy's just a jerk. It's a bad father. So heartbreaking. We we last week we had people putting their labels on this cross out here, and I read one this morning, and it was easy that the label that's been placed on this this young girl was easy. It breaks my heart. We just don't want to take the time. We choose not to really get to know the person, and we just label them, and, and we label, and we label, and we label, and we just say that's who they are. She's a widow. He's a, you know, she's a gossip. He's short. You know, she's a dumb blonde. We'll just throw that on there and say that's who they are. I don't really know what's inside the can, but that's who they are. We put a label on someone and we just write them off. We put a label on someone because it's easy. It's so much simpler just to label somebody rather than take the time and figure them out. We might label someone because of what others have said, right? We, we, we heard through the grapevine. We might label someone because of, of our own interactions with the person. We might label someone based on, on their own actions, right? But again, we aren't the sum of the labels that people put on us. They're more than the sum of the labels that people have put on In fact, I tell you, you, if I can give you just a little bit of encouragement, you are more than just your labels. You're, you're more than the labels that other people have put on you, and I guarantee you that you're more than the labels that you yourself have put on you. We're more than the sum of our labels. Today, I really want to talk about relational labels. You see, here's the thing about relation, relational labels is they almost carry a whole new weight than just typical labels. You see, whenever someone is a very close friend with somebody, and then they're off trying to, you know, fit in over here, and they're off doing their thing over here, and they say, yeah, did you hear that so-and-so is this? That label carries so much further than a perfect stranger saying it. Relational labels are, are just this daunting thing that goes on to us and, and, and we carry it with us for so long, possibly the rest of our lives. Labels from, from, from dating relationships, lading, uh, labels from friendships, labels from parents, labels from teachers, labels from, from classmates. Relational labels just seem to carry with us so much and they, they just build up and build up. Because here's the thing, and this is really the root of it, if we were to just pull off the 20 lab- layers of labels we have on the outside, what are we all really looking for? We're looking for validation. We're looking to be accepted. We're looking to have someone see us and, and think, yeah, that is the right person. That is the cool person. That is the person we want to be around. But I promise you, you're a beautiful creature that was made to be discovered and enjoyed. You are more than the labels that people have put on you. And here's the thing what I want to tell you today. We can't allow the labels 
to take control and hijack who we are. Because here's the thing, and, and this is my big idea today. When we look to people to define us, we expect people to be something that only God can be. Yeah. When we look to people to define us and define who we are, we are expecting that person to be something that only God can be. You know, I'll tell you an example with, with, with me and my wife. I want to bring her joy. I want to bring her strength. But what I've realized is I can't be her strength. You know, my daughter, my daughter, I absolutely love her. Like, everyone says they have the cutest kid in the world, but I actually mean it. Like, if anybody has met her, if you guys have met her, like, no, she really is. Like, I, I'm not just, like, you know, talking her up. Like, no, she is the most adorable thing in the whole world. Um, I want to bring my daughter joy. But what I've realized is I can't be her joy. I can't be the source of her joy. You know, I work with students. As I mentioned a little bit ago, I work with middle and high school students. I want to, like, help them find success as they become adults. But I, I can't be the source of their success. And, and what, I've, what I've come to realize and what I've, I've come to pull it all together is that me, my job as a human being is to be a resource, not a source. I can't, I can't be what only God can be. I can't be the source of something, but I can be a resource towards something. Can I talk to you, talk to parents real quick for a moment? Who got any parents in the room? Okay, got a couple of you. Label I just sm- smacked on you real fast. We spend so much time protecting our kid when we should be preparing our kid. And, and I'll explain what I mean there. I'm not saying that we're, we're raising up these kids of emotional this and that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I, that's, kid, people should be somewhat a little bit more in tune with, with their emotions, a little bit more sensitive. I can say that because, like, I blubber a lot, you know. But um, So here's the thing. Like, we spend so much time protecting our kids. We want to work so hard, and we spend so much time and energy trying to make sure our kids get into the right place with the right people so that they can get validation. I mean, it's so true. It's, we, we, we spend so much time and effort and money and, and you know, my kid's going to do dance and my kid's going to do gymnastics and they're going to play sports and they're going to do this and do that. And we spend so much time trying to make sure that they find into a place. Why? Because we don't want them to experience what it was we experienced, right? We don't want them to go through the same struggles and the same, you know, problems that we went through because we might have been a little bit different. We weren't necessarily that kid in that group of people. You know, it's, it's uh, my daughter. She, uh, we, we, we don't know anything of what we're doing when it comes to parenting. I can just be real with you guys. Church is where you come to confess, right? So uh, we, we're just figuring it out as we go, you know, which is, you know, what most people are doing. And so when my kid was figuring out how this whole walking thing is, as if she really knows now, but, you know, when she really was trying to figure it out, she was like, you know, about 10 months old trying to figure out this whole walking thing. And she would fall a lot. Am I right? Like, anybody got, you know, had toddlers at some point in time? Like, they fall a lot. Like, a lot. Like, too much. It just drives you crazy. And so we didn't know what to do when she fell. Like, do we freak out? Do we run over? Is she hurt? Is her arm broken? Like, you know, what's going on? And so we, we, we just started, like, clapping and cheering for her. Because, like, we would wait for her to see if she would cry. And when she wouldn't, we'd be like, yay, yay, good job. And, and so she would hop back up. She would try to stand up and try to take a step. She would fall. And then we would clap and cheer for her. And so we just accidentally fell onto this pattern of clapping and cheering for her. And here's the crazy thing. 
she never cries. And like when she cries, I know something's wrong with her. Like when she really cries, she, she's falling short. And uh, there's a story when she was one years old, like we had our second summer in the middle of December. Do you guys remember that this past year? Um, I'm from Michigan. I like cold weather. So like I hate this, this winter. Um, so, so we had our second summer in the middle of December, and so we decided that we're going to go to the park and, like, hang out and let her run around. It was crazy. Like, all of Clarksville was there because it's not freaking winter, you know, and so we get there, and, and so here's the thing. Like, she went from, like, zero to 100 real quick. Like, she, she doesn't have, like, in between. Like, she's either, like, straight, fat, lounging it up on the couch like her dad or running, like, that's it, you know, and so, like, when she runs, especially early on, her head gets further than, like, her body, you know, and, you know, and, you know, kids have, like, giant heads, right, so you got this giant weight on the front of her body, and and so she's going down this ramp, so now her head's in front of her body, she's running, and she's at an angle, and so she's running down this ramp, and she's so excited, she's running, and then this two-year-old, She's one. This two-year-old comes around, and they just, like, collide, just bash heads together. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get sued. We better approach this carefully. And so I get over there, and the kid's, like, losing his mind, screaming and crying and freaking out. Now he's two. Amelia's one. She's a girl. This is a boy. And Amelia stands up, and she's like, are you all right, buddy? Are you Okay. I realized in the moment that those parents, they were way protective of that kid. Because uh, if Amelia is all right, and she, I mean, that was hard. That kid's probably all right. I mean, they, same heads hit, same, same collision. I mean, come on. It's like, it's like Finding Nemo. Have you guys seen ever find, have you guys ever seen Finding Nemo? I can talk a little bit. Yeah, woo yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, Marlin, it's, it's whenever Marlin is talking to, uh, uh, to Dory, right? And here's the craziest thing. See, so many of us wrote Dory off at the beginning of that book, at the beginning of that movie. We're going to go full so- circle here. We said she's just a dumb, you know, little girl with no wisdom, and, you know, she forgets everything. And, you know, she has the wisest moments throughout that, that, that movie. Let's just be real for a moment. But we wrote her off. So, again, labeling, right? So Marlon is talking to Dory, and this is like, you know, while they're, like, on the venture trying to get over to find Nemo, right? Finding Nemo, it's the name of the movie. Didn't ruin any spoilers. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the name. Um, came out, like, ten years ago. Come on, guys. So, so Marlon's talking to Dory, and he's like, I promised him I would never let anything happen to him. And then Dory speaks up. She's like, huh, that's, that's a weird thing to, uh, you know. That's, that's a weird thing to promise. I mean, if, if you never let anything happen to him, then nothing's ever going to happen to him. That would be a pretty boring life for little Harpo, wouldn't it? Right? You're like, Harpo? Who's Harpo? It's memory, guys. No, it's so much truth, though. We, we, we try and try and try to make sure that our kids are validated, our kids are in the right circle with the right people, and we protect, 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 and all the while... We're failing to set them up. We're failing to prepare them to actually go into the world and make a difference. And here's the real thing. This is the sad, the sad reality of this, this, this mentality, this way of thinking is, as we, are, as we are putting our kids in these circles to validate them, it's really not to validate them. It's to validate us. 
we don't want to be the parent of the weird kid. I mean, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just being real. Nobody does. We want to be the parent of the star quarterback. We want to be the parent of the straight-A student. We want to be the parent of, you know, little perfect Joe who has all the best friends. We want to be the parent of the prom king, not like, you know, the, the stuck-in-my-locker king, right? I, I, I've heard it from parents. I've heard it. I've heard, you know, like, my kid will play sports. You know, my kid's going to play sports, and I know that they're going to play sports, and the reason they're going to play sports is because... I don't want to be the parent who goes to a football game just to watch the band play. I'm like, yeah, that's harsh. Or we could say, hey, man, if that's who you are, do it. I'll come cheer you on. I'll come before you. Anyway, I'm, I'm going way off, way off notes. I'm sorry, guys. Where do we find this? And here's the thing. If I was to ask a question, do your relationships define you or do you define your relationships the, 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 the knee-jerk response would be, I define my relationships. Of course, Dave, you don't know me, whatever, whatever. Uh-huh, yeah, you just get away from me. I, I'm strong-willed. You don't know. You don't know me. No, you don't. No. But if we were to just sit for a moment and think about it, and we were to really contemplate it and really dig deep, not even really have to go that far under our surface, we would discover that most of us in this room, it is the opposite our relationships most definitely do define us. And why is that problematic? Well, the problematic is because when we allow someone else to define us, we're expecting them to be something that only God can be. When we allow someone else to define us, we are setting us up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for hurt. Why? Because people will always fail you. People will always fail you. If you brought a book with you today, if you brought a Bible with you today, a book... (laughs) There's one specific book here, guys, sorry. If you brought a Bible with you today, uh, we're going to be reading the book of of Colossians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to Colossae. Um, So uh, we're going to pull right up here. So Colossians 2, Colossians 2, verse 6 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now let's say these next words together, continue to live in him. We didn't say that loud enough. Just as, so so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, what is it? Continue to live in him. That means continue. That means constantly. That means daily wake up and live in him. Paul isn't saying that it was a one time I raised my hand at church camp. It was a one time I prayed a prayer and I'm in. Yet you're in. That, that has nothing to do with it. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about continuing to live in him. Christianity is more than just praying a prayer, getting my get out of hell free card, my paying my fire insurance. It's more than that. It is continuing to live in him. Continue to live in him. It continues on. It says, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Rooted. The word rooted means to be established in our depths. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't want you to simply make a one-time decision for Jesus. I want you to root who you are in your entire being, the very depth of who you are, the very core, root in every essence of who you are, root it in your heart, root it in the emotions, in your hurts, in your failures, and your successes. Root it in who you are. Built up. Rooted in and built up in him. Built up. The word built up, it implies a constant. 
when you are built up, one, it's not you doing it, but it's you forcing yourself to be there, and he will build you up. Built up in him. It continues, it says, Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it, so in other words, be on alert, be cautious, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, be careful, be alert. As you live this life, be careful that you don't allow other people to hijack who you are by the labels that they place on you. Paul continues, you have been given fullness. Can you guys say that word? Fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That kid had so much enthusiasm there. That was great. That made me smile. Yeah. (laughs) In other words, there is a battle over what labels you are going to wear. Are you going to wear the labels of relationship here on earth, or are you going to wear the labels of God? The idea really comes down to the word found found in verse 10. It says fullness, being full in Jesus. We have to make the decision every day. Where are we going to find our fullness? Are we going to allow our fullness to, to come from other people? Are we going to allow our fullness to come from what we purchase? Are we going to allow our fullness to come from what we do? our accomplishments, or are we going to find our fullness in Jesus? You know, I'm here and I'm speaking to two groups of people, really. One, I'm speaking to people who you're here, a friend brought you kicking and screaming, you don't even know why you're sitting in these seats. You're just like, you know, friend told you there'd be cute girls here or something. Maybe there's lunch afterwards. I don't know. Like, we've all tried everything. Come on, Christians, let's be real. We've tried it all. I'm speaking to you, but this, this part here isn't necessarily for you because you, you, don't, you haven't really come to this point yet. This, this message, this part here is really for the people who consider themselves Christians. If you're here and you've already accepted Christ, it's not a matter of I'm going to hopefully maybe one day, if I want to, find my fullness in, in Jesus. No, it says find your fullness in him. It says it's there. It's not a request. Find your fullness in him. Word fullness goes along with the word strengthened in faith. Are we going to put our faith in people to define our worth, or are we going to put our faith in God? When we put our faith in people, when we put our faith in our friends, in our siblings, in our husbands, in our wives, in our coworkers, in our parents, in our teachers, when we put our faith in these people, it will always return void. You will get hurt. They will let you down. It's not out of being malicious. It's not out of being angry. It's not out of intentionally wanting to hurt you, although some people are malicious. Some people are angry. Some people do want to intentionally hurt you. But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who are near and dear and close to you that you trust. I promise you. Keep trusting them. Keep loving them. But if you put all of your faith in those people you will get hurt. It's because people are fickle. People are ever-changing. People are flawed. People will fail you. Some of you, you bounced out of church years ago because a church, a person in a church, a pastor, a friend who is a Christian, some of you bounced out of church years ago because someone hurt you, and I'm here telling you that person was a person. 
person just like you is flawed and broken and will be able to fail and will always fail you eventually. You put your faith in someone. Or are we going to put our faith in God? And this is what I love about God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. The battle is over where you're going to find your fullness. Where are we going to find our happiness? Where are we going to find our joy? Where are we going to find our peace? Where are we going to find our success? Where are we going to find our comfort when we fail? People will always fall short. People will always fail you. We're trusting them to bring our fullness when only our fullness can come from God. Now, are we going to allow relationships to define who we are? Are we going to allow God to define who we are? Because if I was to take a poll right now, if I was to go around and have everybody, you guys remember, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? If I was to have you guys type in your, you know, A and B, pull up thing from your seat and, and, and take a poll right now. And if I was to ask you, this, this would be the response that I would get if I was asked who we place boundaries on and who we uh, center our worth in. The answer would be we place boundaries on the relationship with God and we center our worth on a relationship with others. It's so easy to place a boundary on with an invisible God. He's not tangible. I can't reach out and touch him. I can't see him. Sometimes I say I hear him, but then people think I'm crazy. It's all right to laugh again. Thank you. You haven't let me down once. Whoever you are, I can't see you. It's so easy to place a boundary on something that we don't really see and focus all of our or focus and center all of our worth from relationships with others because we see them, we hear them, we can talk to them, we can touch them, we can be in a car with them, right? But again, when we do that, we're expecting someone to be that only God can be. That person will fail. That person will hurt you. Not intentionally, but will. And so we need a flip-flop. We need to flip that around. We need to center our worth on a relationship with God and put boundaries on our relationship with others. Now I'm going to tell you what I mean and I'll tell you what I don't mean about that here in a moment because I believe some of us might hear that and do way the wrong thing. Now, here's the thing about relationship, you know, putting boundaries in relationship with This is why people get stuck in abusive relationships. And I'm not talking about, you know, sure, we have, you know, abuse, like physical abuse is a constant thing, and it is a horrible thing, and it is constantly there, but it is a whole lot less common than what I'm really talking about, which is emotional abuse. So many of us are emotionally abusive, and we don't even realize we're doing it. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. The reason people get stuck in emotional abuse is because at one point in time, they allowed a relationship to define who they were. They allowed someone to take their center of worth. And they got stuck in this situation, and that person realized that they can use it for their gain. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about father-son I'm talking about teacher-student. I'm talking about student-teacher. There are students who abuse their teachers emotionally. 
We, we find ourselves, people get stuck there for so long because they get into this constant cycle and they truly believe that they would be nothing without this person. And I'm telling you, that person would be nothing without you. You are the only thing that person is holding on to and he's holding on to it so tightly that you're suffocating. I don't know who I'm talking to. I just feel like I'm talking to somebody right now. If that's you, I want to talk to you out in the hallway after this. What I'm talking about whenever putting boundaries on someone is if there is someone causing you physical or emotional harm, you put a boundary there. What I'm not talking about is whenever someone has opinions that are contrary to your own that we should just bye-bye, bye, Felica, you know, walk away. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, because some of you here, this is the reason you checked out a church. Some of you here, just as as I come to a close, and, and that some of you... This is why you checked out a church. You allowed someone to take captive. Here, let me pull this up real quick. Again, Colossians 2.8. It says, see to it that no one take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. No one allow, you don't allow someone to take you captive through hollow. Does anybody know anybody hollow? Don't raise your hand. You're not supposed to label someone. Deceptive philosophy, again, this is why you're stuck there. And the reason, some of you, some of you, again, the reason you checked out of church, the reason you bounced out forever ago, and again, you don't understand why you're here in the seat, is because someone did the very thing that I'm about to tell you not to do. Someone said you're not worth the time. Someone said you're not worth the effort. Someone said you're too far gone. You don't agree with me on every single issue that I, that, that I stand for, so you're worthless. You don't belong here. They wrote you off. They got rid of you. Can I tell you something that just absolutely breaks my heart? The 20-something-year-olds that are flocking from the church. And I'm not here to try to doomsday you and make you feel like, you know, oh, this is a big doomsday moment. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's been going on for much longer than just recently. But 20-year-olds are flocking from the church constantly, and it breaks my heart because they're heading into years of making decisions that are ultimately going to end in regret, ultimately going to end in pain, and it all could have been prevented if we would just make some changes. You see, I can't really blame the 20-something-year-olds for leaving the church. Would you really want to sit in an area, in a church, whenever I say the church, I don't mean one church, I mean the church as a whole. Although we are a part of it. Would you really want to sit and hear from from all the 40 and 50 year olds who all they seem to say about you is that you're a lazy, entitled, spoiled, millennial snowflake? Yeah, see, it just got quiet, just got uncomfortable there for a moment. Why would any of these people want to sit at your feet if all they know is that you're not for them. See, I, I just got back from a conference last week. We uh, were down in, in, in Atlanta um, for family ministry talking about the next generation. There was this one great quote. He said, what the next generation needs is someone who came before them to be for them. 
We need to stop trying to fix the next generation. I understand we may not understand them. That's okay. It's good. It means you're an adult. We may not understand them, but we need to stop trying to fix them and start being for them. So I'll share you a little story. When I was 13 years old, we had, uh, we had moved from Michigan. I grew up there. We came down. I grew up in, or I moved to this place called Todd County. Has anybody ever heard of it? Yeah, okay, a couple of you. It's like two miles from here. It's so little. None of you guys really know it's there. Moved to this place called Todd County. Now, I didn't grow up really going to church. It wasn't part of my, my routine. It wasn't what I grew up in. I didn't really know it. My parents believed in Jesus, but there was, I don't know exactly what happened. I was too young to understand some, something about a church that like imploded. And so they just never really got connected in with another church. And so I didn't grow up really knowing what this whole God and church thing was. And so I was 13 years old and all of my friends went to church and everybody went to church. And if you were here and you lived here, you go to church and church, church. And I just, I didn't know what it was. And so I was like, hey, you know, mom, dad, you know, like, can you take me to church? And they're like, you're 13. You're not supposed to really want to do that. And I'm like, I know. I'm like, but I just, I don't know what it is. I have to go find. I have to go and see. I'll tell you what that was happening in that 13-year-old's mind. He was missing something, and he didn't realize what he was missing. But he thought that maybe the church was the answer. So I'm 13 years old, and and I just picked the closest church because, you know, I, I'm just like, hey, they can't say no if it's like a mile or two down the road. Like, we'll go to that one, that one right there. I don't know anything about it. My parents are like, oh, yeah, it's Baptist. It'll be all right. You know, we can go there. And so um, now just to clarify me at the age of 13, I was what they call an emo kid. Do you guys know what that is? I was a big dork. Yeah. So this is proof that emo kids became the hipsters because... That's my emo hair, and that's my hipster hair, all right? Um, so typically I dressed, you know, my hair was like this, and it was always in my eye, and, you know, I, I wrote poetry and uh, smoked cigarettes, you know, that kind of thing, and it's just super, uh, super sad all the time. And My voice wasn't this deep, although I wish it was. I would have been a lot cooler. I don't know. I was going through a phase. I thought that's how I should express myself. Some people see that as simply expression. Others see that as like the greatest atrocity to humankind for someone to look a little different, right? So, so that's how I looked outside of church. But I knew, I knew because I heard all the language, right? When you go to church, you wear your what? What? Good clothes. Sunday best, guys. Come on, you guys are awful at this. I'm just playing. I love you guys. You wear your Sunday best, right? When you go to church, you wear your Sunday best. And so I knew that. So I made sure I had my khakis on and my nice shirt on, my button down. And, and I was making sure that I was going to go and I was going to look great. My hair was fixed, you know. I wore nice shoes, you know. I, I wasn't wearing my holy, uh, you know, converses. You know, my feet didn't completely reek because I took a shower that day. And I go in and I sit down and I'm getting ready, you know, to hear this message. And, and so the pastor walks in, and, you know, and we sing a couple songs. I'm like, oh, that's kind of boring, but, you know, whatever. Um, 
and, and, and the pastor comes out and he starts teaching. He's teaching. I don't remember what he was teaching about, but what I do remember is he looked at me and he stared right at me. And he made eye contact and he said, hey, you know what, everybody? Take, take, your, uh, take your little bulletin, you know, the little thing that little churches do and save that for next week. I don't really want to talk about that anymore. Something else has been brought to my attention. All the while he's staring at me. He looks up and he, and he says, what's wrong with the youth today? And why do they feel the urge to be different? See, he recognized me from outside. He took my outward appearance. He, he took really kind of a label I pulled on myself. And he took that and he decided, you know what? You're not worth it. You don't belong here. You're not worth my time. I don't want to take the time to open you up and find out who you really are. And I'll tell you something. All those 20-something-year-olds that just absolutely drive you crazy, all of those older people, if you're here in your 20, and those older people who absolutely drive you crazy, all those people you just don't understand, the Republicans, the Democrats, God sees one thing. Beloved. Beloved. We see not welcome. We see you're not welcome here. We see, you know, you don't belong. We see not worth the time. Beloved. Beloved. And so I spent 10 years as an atheist. I know some of you are like, you were 13. You're not smart enough to say you're an atheist. I realize that. But I really did become an atheist eventually. But initially it was just like, yeah, I'm an atheist. You know, that's what I said. But, you know, Spent 10 years as an atheist. The worst moments in my life were in those 10 years. The greatest regrets I have or probably ever will have are in those 10 years. The most amount of pain I've ever experienced came in those 10 years. And it all could have been different if this one guy decided instead of being right, he could have been Jesus. Fast forward 10 years, I have a friend bring me to this church kicking and screaming. This church. We were meeting at Northeast High School, but you know what? I was going to have a bad time. I tried to have a good time the last time. I'm going to have a bad time this time. I put on my shortest dad shorts. You know I'm talking about the shorts that made you really embarrassed to go like to the public pool. I wore a t-shirt that smelt like beer from the night before. Had a hole in it. I think shorts did too. Made sure all my tattoos were showing and in big display. I had the brightest green plugs. I used to have five-eighths-inch stretched ears. My hair was this number. My wife's going to kill me. She gets embarrassed whenever I do this. I decided I was going to have a bad time. I wanted to prove to my friend Sam I didn't belong in church. I would get there and they would tell me that I don't belong. I would get there and tell me that, that... I'm not worth the time, and I walk in, and I sit down, and I hear a message about a can with no label. That's right. The last time we taught the message, the man preaching found Jesus during it. I walk in, and I hear this message about how we need to take the time, and and I keep thinking about all the reasons I shouldn't be there, and and then Chris would talk about all the reasons I should, even though he didn't know what was going on in my brain, right? And that's just crazy to think about. And, 
And he tells me that we should all spend more time trying to get inside cans rather than labeling them. There's people in your life that it matters what you say. There's people in your life that it matters what you do. If you're here and that's your story, if your story is anything like mine, I just want you to know I'm so sorry that you went through that. I didn't want to go through that either. And I would love to talk to you in the hallway. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, I just ask you one question. Do you want to be a label maker? Or do you want to be a can opener? At the end of your life, do you want to be the guy who made someone into an atheist? Or do you want to be the guy that helped lead them to Christ? Do you want to be life-taking or life-giving? Because we could all use to spend a little bit more time opening cans and really finding out what's down inside. Because I promise you, inside you and inside of your neighbor that you can't stand and inside of your your brother that's just a a screw-up, inside of that Democrat, inside of that Republican... There's somebody who God said is beloved. Let's pray. God, I love you. And God, I just want to say thank you so much for being a God who is not content on allowing us to just live in our labels. And God, I just ask that you would come onto all of these people and you would give them reminders whenever we start to label something that we would pull back. God, that we would decide that we would be can openers whenever we walk into a situation with preconceived notions about someone based on their belief system or based on, on the, the pigment of their skin. Come on, let's be real. God, that, we would be, that you would remind us that we need to open the can, that we need to get inside and really find out who people are. God, that we are not label makers. We should be can openers. God, I ask if there's anybody in this room who their story is very much like mine and today they came and they heard for the first time that there is a God who calls him nothing but one thing, which is beloved. God, that you would not allow that to just remain in this room. That God, that you would take that and you would transform this person. And you would help them see that you are a God who loves him. And God, remind us who the people are in, in, in our own lives that we, we need to just go say, hey, I love you, and I'm sorry. That we wouldn't be a church of label makers. We would be a church that is for the next generation. We wouldn't be a church against it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.